Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 30th blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that wouldn't get banned from YouTube and come back, well, just as lame. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to episode 30. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? James, we've got four segments this week. Segment one is our top movers, where we will look at the cards that have seen the most, um, the largest price increases for this week. Segment two is our cards to watch, where we will be talking about cards that we have our eyes on as possible opportunities to make money. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We'll be looking at the Star City Invitational this past weekend, which includes both standard and modern, uh, but no legacy. And segment four is our topic of the week. We will cover a little bit more of Conspiracy 2 because it wasn't all spoiled last week when we recorded. And we'll touch on the Puka Trade launch as well. So we can hop right in here at the top on segment one, our top movers. I guess it's not maybe not the top, hopping at the bottom. Oh, it depends on how you want to line this table up. That is uh, the card Hide and Seek, Hide slash Seek, the split card from Dissension. Uh, we are looking at the foil copies at the moment. Started the week in the 650 range uh, and finished around 11. If I'm looking at TCG player, it looks like the market price on TCG says it's 650 as well for the market price, uh, but there is no copy cheaper than $11. Um, so we're rep that represents about a 70% change. Uh, it looks like this is showing up in the sideboards of Nahiri control decks, um, the Mardu decks specifically. Um, it looks like half of this card is pretty good in the mirror because it will tutor their Emrakul and exile it. Uh, and I would imagine the hide side, which tucks uh, artifact or enchantments into uh, your opponent's libraries is useful in situations as well. Yeah, I mean, there's dissensions from, you know, a long way back down the road at this point, and these have uh, never seen a reprint. So not entirely surprising that as soon as somebody finds a use for them and we're dealing with relatively limited supply that we would see uh, an old school rare um, pop up over $10. I don't know if it can it can hold that price, um, given the likely demand profile in modern right now, given which decks are consistently at the top tables, but uh, I guess we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, there's really only, what, five, six playsets at most on TCG Player right now. There's not even, a, I mean, I'm talking about the non-foils, there's not that many out there. What's our next card, James? Uh, so the other card that was moving uh, quite a bit this week in both foil and non-foil versions was Bloodbraid Elf. Somebody detected um, a change to the Magic Online code that seemed to suggest it might be being unbanned uh, during the next uh, ban and unbanned cycle. Um, I suspect that that uh, was jumping the gun, but it didn't stop people from pushing the card up 60% uh, from about $2.50 to $4 in the regular copies, and the foils popping from around 6 up to 16 for almost a 200% gain. Um, you know, if, if you can get a hold of uh, the tail of this spike, uh, I think you go right at it. Um, no point in holding on when uh, we don't have any evidence that Bloodbraid Elf is going to make its way back into modern yet. 
Yeah, I am in a similar position. I talked about this a bit the other day on the the webcast that I do with uh, some other guys, the cartel aristocrats. And I think the long and short of it is that we, you know, Bloodbraid Elf is a good target to come off the modern ban list, but the timing of this particular uh, incident with it showing up as unbanned on Moto is way out of line compared to what we saw with Splinter Twin. Um, so I, I'm of the opinion that for the time being, this is not an omen of any decision, but rather Moto just being Moto. Although that doesn't mean that it won't come off the, the ban list at some point in the future anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible it could still happen, um, but the the spike is kind of already baked in, so I'd be happy to get off this train now. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got another card sneaking in here, Falminator Mage. We're looking at the foils from Shadowmoor. Started the week off at 65, jumped up to like 145. Uh, you know, I don't, even, I don't even have to pull up the page to know that there are basically no copies out there. I'm guessing one copy sold, and that's what ticked this over because the foils for this would have been uh, would have been dried out quite a while ago. Um, so this is just the same thing we see every week where one or two old foils finally disappears and somebody relists at whatever price they want yeah worth worth pointing out that the there are plenty of 30 dollar to 40 dollar foils still available from uh, modern masters 2015 with the same art uh, and uh, the speculators and players need to burn through uh, at least a few more dozen copies before we'll see any kind of matching price movement on the more recent version mm-hmm mm-hmm um, all right, so short week this week. What's our last card? Uh, the other big mover this week was uh, one of the remaining dredge cards um, that hadn't seen big movement yet. Uh, Narc Amoeba Future Sight copies moving from a dollar seventy-five to three dollars, uh, up a dollar twenty-five for about a seventy percent gain. Um, and the foils from MMA moved from three dollars to twenty dollars for a seventeen dollar change. Um, that's a 560% gain, folks, and uh, I was happy to find a couple of uh, the Future Sight foils sitting around in an old casual dredge deck I had together, um, and those got yanked and are going to get shipped shortly. Yeah, I wish I had any copies floating around. I think I found one non-foil uncommon in here in the room somewhere. Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, I think we've seen every card... Basically, in that deck spike, uh, except for Golgari Grave Troll, which is the only one I told people to watch out for, like the price has moved, but it hasn't actually shown up on our top movers list yet, and I can't for the life of me figure out why. I mean, definitely the the reprinting in dual decks, is it versus Golgari, has uh, has created some drag, but I, I just can't see how it can last for much longer. Um, the dredge deck continues to do very well, um, and you know the when the movement comes, it, it should be pretty quick. Um, I'm seeing a couple of copies under $10 lying around, but past past the next 10 copies or so, you're looking at 15 plus. So this could easily be a $20 card uh, when we check in a week, a month, a couple of months from now. Yeah, I'm, I would imagine the only reason this hasn't shown up on our segment one list is uh, to spite me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's hop over to segment two, our cards to watch. Um Man, just not a lot of top movers this week. Quiet week, interestingly enough. Uh, segment two, cards to watch. Um, I've got three, and you've got two, so I will I will take the lead here. Uh, I'm going to start out with Death's, Death's Shadow. Uh, I'm looking at this on a very short time frame, and I'm like a seven on this. We've seen this definitely uh, get some camera time lately. Um, most notably, we saw Kill on turn two in the top eight of the Star City Invitational. Brad Nelson, uh, yeah, killed on, you know, he turned one, got his life total low enough to play 
the uh, Death's Shadow, and then Jadeen was not able to kill it. He untapped and killed Jadeen uh, with, I think it was double become immense, uh, which, you know, it's not a line that the deck is able to pull off very often, but seeing that happen on camera uh, does a lot to kind of expedite the, the process of the card's growth. It expedite the general public's excitement about it. I also know a couple other authors have written about how they basically never want to do anything fair in magic. They kind of want to break the rules in modern and death shadow is a type of deck that uses, that does that. It kind of sidesteps what magic is supposed to be. There's not a lot of cards in this deck that are really terribly valuable. Death shadow is absolutely the key card in the list. It is the best card in the list by far. Um, you know, it's at like 10 bucks right now, but for a world wake rare, that's part of an extremely potent combo-y, aggro-y, funky deck in modern, uh, I think this could easily be $20 or more. So the buy-in's a little high right now, and it is kind of a short-term, maybe roller coaster-ish ride. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I'd blame you if you don't want to, you know, hop online and pay $200 to buy 20 copies, but I wouldn't hesitate to trade for these at $20 at the very least, because I think you'll be able to flip them for a pretty tidy profit not far in the future. You mean trade at $10, right? Trade for at 10 and then trade away later, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think you've got your, your finger on the pulse here. Um, the, the deck is on the way up, not on the way down. Um, it's not easily easily countered. Um, the I, I've seen it go toe-to-toe with Burn and Live to Tell the Tale, uh, which is not a match you would think it would be able to win, given the mechanics of the deck. Um, and you're right, there aren't that many copies left lying around. It would only This buyout is only a few hundred dollars away from completion. Um, so sooner or later, somebody's going to pull the trigger and make this a $20 card. There's no reprintings. Um, you know, given the current reprint policy as exhibited in Conspiracy 2, that doesn't mean we're not going to see it sometime soon. Um, but for the time being, it looks like a relatively safe bet. Yeah, I just I pulled it up on TCG Player. There's, what, 25 copies maybe? <laughs> you know? There's not, not, a lot, not a lot. I mean, those are just near mint wines and need other vendors, but not too many left. Um, okay, what's your uh, what's your first card for the week, James? So my first pick for the week is another card that uh, is starting to worm its way into modern. Um, you know, I'm talking about Eldritch Evolution, uh, the green sorcery um, out of Eldritch Moon um, that was very hyped when it was first announced and people were, you know, already targeting it as a mar- modern card. And then in the first few modern tournaments didn't really show up to any great extent. Jeff Hoogland has been testing it in his um, Kiki Cord type builds and it's been showing up in a, in a few other places. Um, uh, enough lists have been running it to some success that it's definitely got my attention. The foils have already started to move. Um, you could get copies in the 10 to $12 range not too long ago. Right now, it's relatively dry at about uh, you know, $15, $16, $17, $18. And most of the copies left on TCG Player are uh, at $20. And there's only like eight of them left. Um if this card puts up a couple more big results, I think that the foils cement in the $30 to $40 range, similar to the Collected Company, uh, because when it's played, it's almost always played as a four of, um, just like Collected Company, and it has that same kind of open-ended, broken green combo potential um, that lets you stack the effects of various value creatures, and um, with the appearance of the emerge mechanic and uh, plenty of um, Kiki Cord-related combos, uh in in uh, pursuit uh, of this kind of effect, uh, it won't surprise me at all to see this settle in in the you know tier one point five portion of the metagame for modern. 
I like Eldritch Evolution quite a bit. It's got sort of this quarter calling, collected company vibe going on. Um, it foils at 15 is actually cheaper than I would have expected. So uh, I like I like where this could possibly end up, especially when you look at the price of some of the collected company. Uh, you know, if you look at the price of collected company, $30 foil definitely seems uh, not un- not unplausible, implausible. Man, having trouble today. <laughs> <laughs> Long day at work. Yeah, it really was. All right. I'm going to let's move along here. Uh, my next card is Dark Steel Forge. Um, you know, just to preface this, I kind of went looking for some longer term, quieter EDH cards this week. You know, I haven't, I feel like I haven't picked a lot of those lately, but they always tend to be um, kind of the most profitable or at least most reliable options when you are looking to speculate on stuff, things that you can kind of stash away for a year or two and come back to you and suddenly find that it's worth a good bit more than you paid for it. Um, you know, these are kind of workhorses because they, they work with the casual crowd. So you're not subject to the whims of competitive formats. So I dug through M14 to find uh, anything that caught my eye as a sleeper. Uh, and there were two cards, the first of which is Dark Steel Forge. Um, looks like you can pick up copies right now for right around $5, a little bit less than that. Uh, and for people who have been playing for a while, uh, you'll remember that Dark Steel Forge was well over $10 at one point. I think it was nearly $15 for, for quite some time. Um, so there's definitely a real price history to this. Uh, that was a Dark Steel copy. It got reprinted in the first um, plane chase, but I don't think that did much to the price at all. Uh, just, you know, it did a little bit, but it was not a huge printing. Uh, and it was the M14 copy that really cratered the numbers on this. It's already started to pull up from its, from its, uh, valley a while ago um, but i think it could easily quietly climb back up into the ten dollar region um, over the next i don't know year ish or so so you know they're not it's not sexy it's not exciting uh, but it's a great type of car to just kind of stash away in your box and come back to in a year um, and suddenly find that you made multiple dollars a copy yeah i can definitely get with that the uh i mean dark Star forge is one of those casual cards that as long as it doesn't get a reprint it's got a very good chance of uh achieving a new plateau give it a you know six months a year two years um some some amount of reasonable gains is not unlikely yeah and remember this is dark steel so it's mirrored in um and there's no core set so it can only show up in mirrored in blocks and we are also walking into another artifact set Uh, which is going to give this a little bit more fodder. Okay, so my second pick of the week is is more of a reminder on a pick from a few few weeks back. Um, I called Dark Confident at 32, saying that it was probably going to end up in the 45 range within the year, assuming it doesn't get reprinted in Modern Masters 2017. Um, you got a probably a six-month window in which you want to operate here. Um, more decks uh, are starting to come uh, to the forefront in Modern that uh, are using Dark Confidant. It's been showing up in a Mardu control list. And, of course, it's an ever-present four of Staple and Jund. And Jund is doing pretty well right now. Um, there are still uh, numerous copies available in, in places like eBay and TCG. So there's no big movement on this card yet. But I have seen it inching up a few dollars lately. Um, it's in the like mid thirties now. Um, whereas a month or two ago you could get it for 30 to 32. Um, and if the, if confidant puts up some big results on camera sometime, uh, leading into the fall, then there's a pretty solid shot. that This could top, uh, 40 before the end of the year, um, which might be a, a nice place to trade out into something else you need. Okay. 
So yeah, that's a, that's another card that's going to be pretty easy to find in trade binders. And uh, I like how how large of an of an actual dollar value this card could see in gains. You know, ten bucks a piece is is a nice healthy chunk of profit. Um, you know, per copy for sure. All right. So tell me about your final pick this week. Yeah, uh, like I said, went digging through M14. This and the uh, the second card I found was Sanguine Bond. Uh, this is another. Uh, long-term pick. Uh, again, players will remember this used to cost uh, well over ten dollars. Um, this was one of those uh, those cards that kind of flips the life gain. So I think it's with with Sanguine Bond is which one? When you when you gain life, they lose life. I believe that's what this one is. Yeah, whenever you gain uh, life, target opponent loses that much life. Yeah, so it combines fan favorites of life gain with an actual win condition. Um. The price on this after it was reprinted in M4, uh, so it was originally in M10, which is a copy that grew in price. And from M10 to M14, it actually climbed from what was bulk in M10 to like $12 in M14. So it did not, it only took two years for that to hit double digits. Uh, and then the M14 release came and dropped the price pretty good. And uh, Commander 2013 hit it pretty hard as well, which I believe was the same year. Um so it's it's dropped into the two to three dollar range, but it's already started to kind of pull up from its bottom. And again, this is an extremely popular casual card. You're not only going to see this in EDH decks, but you're going to see it in sixty card casual decks. Uh, so just like Dark Seal Forge, this is going to quietly keep putting up results time over time uh, until it gets near that ten dollar range, you know, the double digit range, which is is just going to be really solid profits for a card that you can just kind of pick up quietly. Um, you know, and like everything else, Dark Steel Forge and Sanguine Bond, you have the risk of reprints. Uh, I can't do anything about that, but uh, Wizards can't print reprint everything. Um, and you know, it, as long as they don't hit these, I think they're they're great choices. Yeah, I mean, given that we're a couple of years out from more or less a double printing within the same year between Magic twenty fourteen and Commander twenty thirteen, um, I think that's going to hold the card back for a while. I'd be surprised to see it top ten dollars in the next few years, but I think it'd certainly hit five or six. Um, my one concern with cards like this is that uh, they get gobbled up in ones, um, not in threes or fours. So with inventory as high as it is right now with, you know, a few hundred copies between the three printings um, available online, uh, there's plenty of time to kick back and, and wait to get in on this. Um, I think people will have access to it in the, you know, the $2.50 to $3 range for, for several months uh, to a year or two before they really need to make a, a big move. Sure. I mean, cards like this, you're never going to see them. You know, there, it's rare that there's sort of that tipping point where the, the inventory dries up and then suddenly the price is twice as high. It's just, it's just sort of this kind of slow burn, right? And so there's never really a, oh, this is the day you should have bought it. It was always just, boy, this probably would have been cheaper if I had bought it a week ago. You know, it just gains a couple, couple cents worth of value every week. Yep, that makes sense. So uh, one card that's on my uh, potential sell list right now, um, I'm going to call out uh, Gisela the Broken Blade, uh, which I called uh, a few weeks ago as a, as a potential buy target. Um, but when things go in a different direction than you're expecting, uh, it's worth pointing that out. Um, Gisela does not look like she's going to be dominating the metagame anytime soon. And holding onto copies of Gisela looks like uh, a speculative play for the long term on the basis that she... Um, uh, has the flip and merge uh, uh, thing going for her as a collectible. Um, it's also possible that once uh, Collected Company and uh, the rest of the cards from the last 
the rotating blocks exit stage left come the fall that she's got a chance to pop back up and be a major force as a four of but you don't know for a fact what's in Kaladesh yet. You don't even know what the kind of core themes are and how they may or may not impact her her viability. And uh, it's entirely, I think it's more likely that from $12, Gisela drops down towards 6 or 8 um, than it is that she spikes to 20 before you get a chance to get in lower. So if you've got some copies sitting around and you don't think you're going to be playing them, I think uh, now might be a good time to be trading out. I'm totally on board with this. Get out now and revisit this, you know, in a month or two, maybe uh, when it's several dollars cheaper, because it's certainly not getting played the standard format. You can't get it with Collected Company. It's probably not good enough in standard. I mean, it still shows up in the black-white control decks, but those decks are just not... I mean, despite Lucas Blohan winning the Pro Tour with black-white control, um, it doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, putting up... uh, you know, collective company uh, band decks are still <laughs> dominating tournament after tournament, tournament, and it doesn't look like it's going to put uh, enough players in the metagame onto black-white control with enough copies of Gisela uh, in their 60 cards um, to make it worth pursuing at this point. Yeah, yeah, and band company is just so saturated the format and black-white. It's just almost a fringe deck at this point, and it plays so few that it's it's just not enough to really push the price in, in the face of the other factors. Okay. Let's hop over to segment three, our metagame week in review this week. We're looking at the star city invitational. Um, so there was standard and modern. They remember they cut legacy from their invitational, uh, the standard, the, the top eight, uh, deck lists, um, over on the standard side, we had, Three Bant Collected Companies, a little Team Merge, um, Bant Humans. We had a nifty-looking blue-black Zombies list that was playing four Crypt, ba- four crypt Breaker, three Mindbender, a uh, Distended Mindbender, three, or four uh, Voldaren Pariah, three Relentless Dead, and three Liliana, The Last Hope. Um, so there's a lot of juicy cards hanging around in, in there. Uh, and then the seven or one standard decks were like almost all Bant Company again, so not a lot hanging around sort of in the, the alternate world top eight there. Yeah, so I mean, this is largely more of the same. Um, you know, Bant Company is a deck that's dominance enough that I don't think very many people are going to be sad to see it go. Um, you know, the people that have been piloting it have had plenty of time to run Ramshot over their local metagames. Um, but I, it, it's not an utterly, this isn't like as bad as when we had mono blue devotion versus mono black devotion every week. Um, at least we're getting some cool, fun decks, uh, in the format, things like blue, black zombies and, um, uh, aggro humans and the, is it alchemist list are still, you know, keeping some spicy flavor, uh, alive and standard and, Given how quickly, how soon company rotates out, um, I'm happy to grin and bear it and, and wait to see what Kaladesh presents for us. Yeah, yeah, just just so little interest in cards in there. I did the only reason, the one thing that I like about that blueback zombies list though is that a lot of those cards survive rotation, right? It wasn't all the ones that I read are still going to be around come come the fall? So maybe blueback zombies is sort of a breakout deck uh after rotation you know it's obviously depends heavily on what kaladesh brings us but a lot of the pieces are still there yeah i mean i suspect there won't be zombies on kaladesh but who knows we'll we'll have to see how that how that breaks out the um 
I mean, but you're right. All of those pieces are still going to be around. Um, I picked up a bunch of the Voldaren Pariah foils that I ordered online um, on the basis that I think the art's incredible um, and was very pleased with how they look in person. I think that uh, in terms of vampire foils, these will be highly targeted down the road. Um, interesting. Um, over on the modern side of things, I'm looking at the top eight modern decks, of course, Elves 1. Um, nothing terribly thrilling right there right there at the moment. Uh, we're not seeing it take over modern, so it's not like there's going to be a lot of price movement on the elf singles. Um, John uh, in second place, uh, the Death Shadows Zoolist uh, took took third place again they had that turn to kill on camera uh, so that's pretty exciting and then uh, and then a little bit of a mix you know you had um abzan uh standard mid-range uh you had affinity uh just guy control uh with nahiri i believe uh a dredge list and a burn list so a pretty good cross section there of the format the only thing really that i didn't see in the top eight was uh eldrazi yeah, exactly. And all the usual suspects in the dredge deck that was piloted by Tom Ross, Bloodgast, Golgari Grave Troll, Greater Gargadon, um, Haunted Dead making its way into modern against all odds, Insolent Neonate, Narcomoeba, Prized Amalgam, and Stinkweed Imp. Um, still two copies of Shriekhorn in that list. And uh, only two copies of Bridge from Below I thought was interesting. Two copies of Conflagrate and uh, two copies of Life from the Loam. Um, so the, the deck continues to be refined week to week. I wonder if the two copies of Conflagrate is just because you couldn't find them. <laughs> <laughs> um, over on the 7-1 the list in Modern, uh, a Ban Eldrazi list placed very well. And I just saw something pop up on Twitter earlier today about somebody was really talking up the Ban Eldrazi list that they had been playing. They were very happy with it. Um, place four Drowner, Drowner of Hope, I think, is it? Uh, four Eldrazi Displacer, four Matter Reshaper, which I've talked about before. Four Noble Hierarch, four Reality Smasher, four Thought Not Seer. And then in the land base, you've got four Brushlands and four Cavern of Souls. Um, so there's a lot of interesting cards in there. And I think there's a lot of that as a core of an Eldrazi deck. Uh, you know, the Displacer, the Reshaper, um, the Smasher, the Thought Not Seer, you know, those travel really well. So no matter what the Eldrazi list is, you're kind of going to see those show up in almost all of them. Yeah, I mean, in the open, the Band Eldrazi list was first, fourth, and eighth. And that you're right, that core, um, you know, when ben Eldrazi Winter finished and these kind of decks started popping up, people were like, well, you know, people just can't give up the ghost. They're going to you know, try to force it and make it work. And it was assumed it was going to be a tier three deck. But given that it's, you know, three of the top eight in the open, um, you have to kind of uh, acknowledge at this point, even if you weren't a believer up front, that uh, Bant Eldrazi is the real deal uh, in modern and that cards like Drowner of Hope and um, Eldrazi Displacer, uh, Matter Reshaper, Reality Smasher, and Thought Unseer, as you were saying, are all things to be keeping our, our eyes on. Um, I called a few of those cards last week and... You know, it could be a little while or, uh, you know, uh, six months, 12 months, you know, maybe even 18 for some of these to pop, but pop indeed they will. Um, four ofs for unique four ofs that aren't easy to reprint um, are uh, definitely targets that I, guys like us keep our eyes on. Yeah. Um, shoot. I had a really good comment to make here and I completely lost. Oh, you know what I was going to say is it turns out that uh, being worse than completely ruining modern for three months still leaves you plenty of room to be solid even yeah. if you're not the absolute best deck in the format yeah exactly i was just going to point out that i mean i i don't trust legacy to boost the prices on cards by itself at all anymore um but it is worth pointing out that in the legacy open at the same tournament um colorless eldrazi was fourth sixth and eighth 
Um, and this is the the core that takes advantage of Chalice of the Void, Ancient Tomb, and City of Traitors to crank out Eldrazi Mimic, um, Endbringer, uh, Endless One, Reshaper, Smasher, and Thought Not Seer. So um, most of the same core uh, along with Mimic uh, and Endless One uh, and Endbringer, cards that I've uh, been stashing away in foil on the, on the premise that uh, they may one day see some ad- modern play in addition to their legacy play. I really like Endbringer, and I haven't brought myself to really buy that many yet, but it just seems like the type of card that, first of all, no matter what, no matter who your EDH commander is, you have to pause and look at Endbringer and go, should I play this? Like, I feel like I should probably play this because the card is just so good in Commander. And then it's also going to see random play elsewhere. That seems like the type of card that could sneak up pretty easily. Yeah, the fact that we have a release event foils with better art uh was interesting enough for me to pick up 50 or 60 copies of them. But again, the fact that there was a release foil means that you've got a serious drag on the foils as a foil rare. Um, So, I mean, these are still available for under a dollar, folks. If you have any belief that this is going to be a thing at some point, um, you know, if you think it's a $5 foil rare down the road, you know, pick up your 10, 20, 30, 40 copies and stash them in the closet and forget about them for a while. Yeah, I definitely like the release art better than the pack art. Um, the other thing that I just noticed is the red, green Valakit list showed up in the seven one or better as well. That's not, that's not the, um, you know, the escape shift list that people are familiar with that has, uh, snapcasters and cryptic commands and remands. This is for, uh, primeval Titan. It's got summoners pack to find primeval Titan. It's got through the breach. Um, and it still plays Scapeshift as well, some Score Tribe Elder stuff like that. So it's the it's the Primeval Titan Summoners Pact and Through the Breach that are your uh, your your cards where where you'll see possible uh, fluctuations in price. But you know this is a deck that we've seen pop up in our discussions here a couple times in a row now. I feel like in modern um, that that mostly flies under the radar, uh, and it's kind of hard to imagine playing this deck against something like Death Shadow Zoo or uh, or infect which can both you know kill on turn two or three but it seems to be doing doing reasonably well and you get access to some really really powerful sideboard cards in red too so maybe that's got part of it i don't know just i've noticed this pinging on our radar here yep definitely all right so moving on to our final segment topic of the week we're going to do a little bit of cleanup on conspiracy 2 and talk a little bit about the puka trade uh relaunch called future site that went down over the last week um, so what caught your eye um, as we got the full ac- full access to the set information for Conspiracy 2, Travis? Uh, well, I mean, the big one is definitely show and tell. That had not been spoiled when we last recorded. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to pretend like it wasn't. So if it was, I apologize. <laughs> but yeah, show and tell is a really big one here. Um, we haven't seen this since the Judge promo, I believe. Um, so this is the first time we're getting a non-foil reprint. Um, so I would, ex- and you know, given what we know about conspiracy and how much the printing there, there are, how big the printing run is, uh, you know, it's print on demand. Uh, we should see the price of show and tell, show and tell crash pretty darn hard. Um, the first conspiracy, the most expensive non-foil card is Dak Faden at 20 bucks. Now, I don't think that the first conspiracy brought with it cards with as much legacy allure as show and tell does. Uh, but even still, I mean, I, I see show and tell drop into like $30 here maybe even cheaper yeah i mean we're seeing copies from take the crown posted below 30 already um in fact there's there's nothing being posted above 30 that's not a foil um at present so yeah i expect these to keep crashing everybody's calling the same thing which is that with a print to order set that has a lot of good cards um 
that you know regardless of whether the drafting is is fun um there's enough uh, there are enough chase cards in here for cubers and commander players and legacy players that the set is likely to see you know sales trail off pretty hard as we approach kaladesh but um you know be carried along by occasional resurgences of interest um throughout the year and i expect to be able to pick up boxes of this product you know this time next year for eighty dollars eighty five dollars just like i'm expecting to get them now so i have absolutely no rush to be chasing almost anything out of this set except for the occasional kind of high-end foils um where if we've seen uh, it, the releases of the other sets have been any indication, when we see a card like Berserk or Show Tell show up as a foil for the first time, uh, and in, in bo- the case of both of these cards, it's not actually the first time. Show and Tell has had a Judge foil printing. Berserk has had an FTV printing, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, a widespread foil release, uh, as it were. Um, I think that those those foils have a chance of of climbing because stores can't really afford to be opening boxes chasing foils. Uh, especially not foil mythics it's just it takes too many boxes to get to the point where you're making any money um so it's really about how many of those boxes get opened is really about the current price the expected value of the box as a whole which doesn't take foils into account to a very great extent nor should it um it's also interesting to point out that the kaya ghost assassin uh foils use different art um than the non-foils so those are going to be a chase card um and i'm looking at cards like uh Duretti, um, you know, some of the, the key commander cards, Dreddy, Ingenious Iconoclast, Queen Marquesa, and Leovold, Embassy of Trest, which I know is uh, uh, on a lot of people's radar. Those, those foils are likely to spike relatively early, potentially come down towards Christmas, but, um, you know, whole, be on a relatively uh, consistent uh, upstream uh, graph for, uh, you know, months and years after their release. Mm-hmm. I do like the the nice foil approach. Um, you know, I, I think that we can look back at the first conspiracy and just project those timelines on the some of these cards, especially um, stuff like, uh, you know, exploration is going to be a great predictor of burgeoning and horn of greed, which also showed up since we last recorded horn of greed, if you weren't aware of was was 10 to $12 prior to this, and this is going to crash quite hard. So uh, I like going back and looking at some of the price graphs for the first conspiracy and just finding the sharpest and quickest rises in price and seeing if there's a good allegory, a good, a good translation here to conspiracy to, um, yeah, and, and you know that it's interesting too because now we've got this widespread release of foil show and tell, and it's like, oh, you know, maybe that will, well, you know, maybe that'll be able to keep some price tag, but at the same time, it's just cannibalizing the judge art because it's the exact, the judge copy because it's the exact same art. I mean, they just took, gave this to the judges and said, here you go. And then six months later, just like, oh, we're going to make another one. But it's the exact same thing. So it uh, feels kind of, kind of rude to the judges a little bit. Well, I mean, the judge foils are, there's not, all that many copies left in and around 65 to $70. And then pretty quickly after that, it climbs to 80 and then 90. Um, I don't expect that to last for very long because pretty soon there's going to be a lot more of the conspiracy two foils uh, sitting around and they're going to dictate the price for the judge foils since they're essentially the same thing. Um, it's also worth considering what the prices of uh, cards like sanctum prelate uh, the death and taxes 
style card. This is a 2-2 for 1 and 2 white. When it enters the battlefield, you choose a number, and non-creature spells with the converted mana cost equal to the number can't be cast. So, you know, cards like that that are in a first printing foil that are rares or mythics, um, and that includes uh, Recruiter of the Guard and, and a couple of the other interesting cards in the set, um, those are ones to keep your eye on. Um, you know, the burgeoning art is the superior art versus the old art, so those foils are probably going to be in relatively high demand. Um, but I'm not in a huge rush to get in, even on the foils. I'm, I'm willing to kind of see how things settle in the first week or two and what trend line the foils tend, seem to be on, and then act accordingly. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not in a rush to buy anything here. Um, you know, unlike a expansion set, which comes out, gets drafted very heavily by the competitive crowd and then sort of uh, quickly transitioned away from as as the next standard set comes out three months later, uh, Conspiracy, I think, is a little bit slower of a burn, maybe. Maybe you don't see it drafted quite as heavily in the first week, but then it keeps up a little bit longer. And I, I'm not positive. I'm not sure. I think I feel like we talked about this before. I can't remember, but um, I, I'm not. It's hard for me to guess at the draft patterns of players, but I feel like Conspiracy maybe lasts a little bit longer because it's not tied to a competitive season. Yeah, I think the it's really the 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 coming of Kaladesh that really shuts down how, how far this goes. Um, but if it's anything like conspiracy one, um, it's only going to get two to four weeks of like heavy drafting and only really at busy LGSs. Um, LGSs that have trouble pulling a scene together are, are not going to run very much of this, uh, especially if you have an LGS that, um, is heavily, uh, tilted towards newer players. Uh, this is a very complicated draft format. There's a lot of information that needs to be tracked during the drafts. And if they're doing it the same way as they did last time, where the, the top two people at a table proceed and the others are all kind of knocked out, uh, in their first match, um, there's a lot of feel bad moments with those kind uh, of scenarios that doesn't lead people to necessarily be um, reapproaching the format uh, multiple times per week. Uh, that's very true. That's very true. I don't know. That'll be curious. It's this is a tough. This is a, I feel like kind of a lot of tension in this because it's a type of set where I guess you could see not a lot of drafting occurring. Um, and that leading to naturally high prices, but it's a print on demand. So there's a lot of boxes floating around. So it's kind of in this weird middle ground where nobody really is opening that much, but there's a lot of it to be opened if they need to. All right. So moving on to, uh, the release of the future site edition of Puka trade, um, uh, I haven't spent enough time with, uh, the platform to, uh, be issuing detailed notes yet. I'm going to be working on an article shortly, but I did want to. Um, point out a few things I noticed. Um, the site is very sexy looking, um, but there are going to be a lot of people that I think that that's going to turn off. Um, they've definitely made some choices that err on the side of um, eye candy over functionality um, or efficiency. Uh, I tend to be the kind of guy that if I'm dealing with numbers and I'm managing portfolios, I really want things stripped down to as kind of bare bones as they can possibly be. And so, you know, the very colorful uh, card backgrounds for the site, the the animations, um, and the uh, the kind of additional control sets that have been added to various templates, um, you know, some some of that functionality is much appreciated um, and will definitely be heavily used. Um, uh, other portions I can see just annoying people. I, I've noticed that the the ability to interpret kind of what I have on deck to send out is suddenly uh, much less easy to interpret than it used to be. Um, so there's a couple of things here that I'm hoping that they're going to step up and refine as the in the next few months. 
Um, the the other thing I I will point out is that uh, most of this is about um, uh, UI UX, like user interface and and user experience. Um, the fact that we can now deal uh, in international versions of cards is a pretty big deal from a finance perspective. I mean, if you're running a Puka Trade account and there's a bunch of cards that you want and you'd be willing to take foreign versions, you know, certainly no harm in you, most of the time in taking German or Japanese, Korean or Russian versions of most cards, especially if they're good ones, um, and especially if you can get them anywhere near the English price, uh, you know, you should go in and update your want list accordingly because it will, you know, opens a much wider net and, and increases the likelihood uh, of... Uh, cards being sent your way. So that's definitely something worth pointing out. Um, but none of this really addresses the the fundamental issue with Puka Trade, which is that they have an inflation problem. Um, they gave a, uh, Everybody that has joined the site thus far has been given points for free. Um, that's essentially the same thing as giving away free money in any other economy. And uh, as per the giant article that we posted on MTG Price earlier this summer, um, that creates an inflationary spiral that devalues the Puka Point versus the US dollar. Um, I've noticed lately that prices seem to be uh, in many cases being uh, almost manually set um, or adjusted. Um, and there seems to be a lot of interference uh, in terms of, or uh, maybe you call it fine-tuning, not interference, um, of, of pricing over time as they try to kind of dial in the algorithm um, to see what Puka Point values will drive trade uh, the hardest. Um, so in summary, Definitely some good features uh, have been added. It's great to be dealing with uh, foreign versions of cards. And uh, we'll see how this all plays out as their team continues to refine the site. Yeah, I unfortunately haven't gotten a chance to play with too much of this uh, just because of the way Puka Trade handled the uh, initial issue with user login. So I haven't gotten to poke around at it. Um, the inclusion of foreign cards is a really big deal, especially for... Uh, myself and a couple other people who had kind of a stack of foreign cards floating around um, that don't necessarily sell extremely quickly on TCG Player. They can kind of to kind of languish for a little while, but this gives us another opportunity, uh, a little cleaner to get rid of them. Uh, so I, 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 that's a big change. The the moto part of this is God. It's just that's so big. It's it's kind of hard to wrap my head around at this point. Uh, how that's going to end up connecting the paper. It gives players another sort of, of way to transition from Puka points into, um, into real money to kind of cash out, which is, is going to have impacts on, I think most, my God, it's hard to say if, is it going to have more of an impact on the moto economy or the real world economy, or is Puka trade just going to contort itself to land somewhere in the middle? Um, I don't know, but it, time will tell. We're going to have to kind of keep an eye out on this, and uh, I'll be curious to hear uh, what you have to say, James, because I know you're very involved in the MTGO economy. So what what you see happening after a week and a month and, and six months over on Modo. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I forgot to mention it. Um, the, the addition of uh, the ability to now trade Magic Online cards for physical cards <laughs> is definitely unique, um, a potentially very powerful feature. Um, uh, I think it has the potential to lead to some real feel-bad moments on the basis that uh, online cards are very swingy. Um, you know, a card that is $20 one week can get um, re-released in a flashback draft with relatively little notice and can crash uh, pretty hard only to rebound again several months later. Um, paper prices tend to be a little bit more stable. Um, and... 
there is definitely some arbitrage that's going to open up there um, where uh, maybe arbitrage isn't the right word. There, there are definitely opportunities that are, that are going to open up where you can get in and out of uh, Magic Online cards at the right times uh, in exchange for, you know, ride a, a, a spike um, on a Magic Online card that's only going to flare briefly and get out into paper safely um, uh, at a better rate than you would have been able to uh, sell the card online to the bots because sometimes spikes uh, with the bots you you might be leaving 20 you know 10 15 20 percent on the table but if you can exit to say a 40 dollars dark confidant on a card that spiked from 20 to 40 um, you know that might be a great short-term way to exit so as I said I've got to spend some more time at the system and really have some time to digest it run some experiments and see how it goes and uh, I expect to report back to you guys in, in a month or two and uh, let you know how it's going this trades right now section is pretty amusing uh, apparently somebody just got sent an aqueous farm just like the one mod unblockable enchantment from theros <laughs> okay <laughs> somebody went through the trouble to put that on their want list <laughs> and and somebody else decided that that was worth the time stamp and and uh, envelope to take care of yeah i mean i i was using my puka trade want list as sort of just a place to dump cards that i wanted to pick up for myself at some point uh, and I just kind of leave them there until I get around the placing a, a kind of a large order and then I'll, I'll buy them and then take them off my Puka trade list. And I laugh every time I end up getting sent some like 32 cent card. Like, okay, buddy, whatever. <laughs> yep. Works for me. Um, okay. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to chat about this week before we wrap it up? Uh, I think that's a, a wrap for this week, folks. Uh, okay. Where, uh, where can our loyal listeners find you? Uh, you guys can find me as always on Twitter at MTG critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. And, uh, I will point out that I've got a new series that I started this week, um, publishing some video content, uh, for, uh, with a 72 hour advance window for our pro traders. Um, it's called uh, trading post and it's going to be a video, uh, compilation covering off uh, on a quarterly basis the cards that I've been picking up for speculation that you may have heard us talk about on the show. Um, and uh, what about you, Travis? Where can people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter over at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write a weekly column on MTG Price every Wednesday. And I also appear on the webcast Cartel Aristocrats. We're on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance uh, with some other guys. So uh, a variety of places you can find my content. All right. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 30. Uh, I had a great time again, James. Thanks, Travis, and we'll see everybody next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.